What can Quincy Anunua do for you this year? Does Jeremy Macklin's landing spot matter for fantasy? And did you make the cut in the Pros versus Joes challenge this season? Plus, $20,000 FFPC winner Ryan Thurlow co-hosts with me tonight to talk about early season draft action and announce the 36 Joes representing the FFPC in the annual Pros versus Joes competition right here next month. We've got a great show for you. Ryan Thurlow is here. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your special Eric Balkman show edition of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour starts now. Live from the WRST Radio Studios in beautiful Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and heard around the world on the WRST stream, it's the Eric Balkman Show. Thank you so much, Rob. Greetings and salutations, all you Balkaholics. Welcome to the latest episode of the Eric Balkman Show edition of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, presented by MyFFPC.com right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I am, of course, your slightly above-average host, Eric Balkman, and my co-host this evening is filling in for the patron saint of fantasy football, the Dizzle, Dave Gerzak. He is a former poker pro enjoying his third season of FFPC action. He's developed his own spreadsheet projection system for both dynasty and redraft uh, leagues uh, where he spent hundreds of hours working on. We're going to get into that tonight. It's helped him cash more than $20,000 in just two years of the fantasy football players championship. Please welcome in my co-host, Mr. Ryan Thurlow. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight, man. Hey, how's it going, Eric? Uh, nice to be here. Very good, very good. Once again, I you know I always say this at the top of the show every time we have a co-host on, but once again, we have massively upgraded the co-host chair tonight, and I thank you for coming on, man. Hmm. Well, I don't know about that, but we shall see. I've never done anything like this before. And well, uh, trust me, you're already ahead of the game. Then, yeah, no, you're fine. You're 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 going to be uh, uh, more than uh, capable tonight in the uh, co-host chair. And ladies and gentlemen, coming up. On tonight's show, we have a lot to get to. We will be uh, talking about uh, whether Julio Jones has dropped off the top tier of wide receivers, what tight end will be stepping up to snare Dennis Pitta's 86 catches that have suddenly become available in that Baltimore offense. And we will announce the 2017 Joes repping the FFPC in this year's competition as well. Shout out to the chat room right now. Feel free to post any questions you guys might have in there. If you want to connect with us on Twitter, you can do so at HSFFHour or at Eric Balkman. You can post on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash HSFFHour. If you want to chime in and talk with us, give us a call, 347-426-3682. That's 347-GAME-OVA. You can also email the show at the inbox, highstakesfantasyfootball at gmail.com. 
you have any questions for us, now is the time to get them to us. Our producer and mutual friend Rob and our audio engineer Bryce working uh, extra hard tonight to make sure that we get to all those questions and tweets in the fantasy feedback segment later on in the show. The 2017 Football Guys Players Championship is live. A $250,000 grand prize, $2 million prize pool. We have drafts going on all weekend, I believe. There's more than a dozen to choose from over the next 48 hours. Uh, We're going to have more posted uh, when those fill as well. So definitely be checking that out at myffpc.com. I don't know if you heard. We're going to be at Planet Hollywood this September, holding our live events for the FFPC out there. The main event is open, a $250,000 grand prize, $1.7 million prize pool. Get in now so you can get those early draft slots by the end of July. We definitely want uh, you taking full advantage of that. And, of course, the satellites, draft experts, Superflex, $35, uh, $77, $250 Dynasty Leagues starting at $77, all available at myffpc.com. Now, if Dave was here, he'd say, all right, enough, Balky. People are just tuning in for the first few minutes tonight. They just want to find out uh, whether or not they made the cut for the Pros vs. Joes contest this year. And Dave's not here, so I'm going to make you wait till the very end of the show. I'm just kidding. I would never do that to you. I'm going to read off the Joes right now in no particular order. These are the 36 Joes that will be representing the FFPC Uh, In defending the belt after Blake Pyle and FFPC Joe won the competition, the overall competition last year, Uh, these 36 Joes will be competing for six main event uh, entries to the uh, 2018 FFPC main event. And uh, they are as follows. Uh, Team number one, Steve Rezas will be in the pros versus Joe's competition. Boobs love him. Zach Jaraz, Shane Gray, former guests of this show, will be on is, uh, the pros versus Joe's as well as their uh, as team number two. Jeff Howie also making it. Bob McGilvray, I believe. Rebob, Team Rebob. You've seen him before. He's in the pros versus Joe's this year. Uh, Dan Thomas will also have a team in the pros versus Joe's. Chuck Root having a team, and Chuck Root Sr., by the way, father and son team, uh, having uh, a Pros vs. Joes team this year. Mark Harrelson and Nelson Verbit, welcome to the Pros vs. Joes competition. You guys will be co-owning a team as well. The chef, Chef Paul, joining PVJ this year as well. Edgar Macias, and then I know I'm going to butcher this, uh, this next name, but Team 10, Sean Zidrakowski. I'm going to guess. Sean Zidrakowski, Looney Tunis. He is in. Team number 11, Shelby Stewart. Uh, Rich McClellan will have team number 12. He will be in the pros versus Joes this year. Steve McMahon and Keith Douglas splitting a team as well as uh, a big-time listener to the show, former guest of the show, Drew Maselli is in the pros versus Joes competition for 2017. He is team 14. So you have uh, Trevor Ross uh, also locking up a spot. Wayne Achteberg will also be in. Don Lacknett, and of course, uh, last week's uh, guest on the show, Ryan Santos. He is the 18th team in the uh, Pros vs. Joes competition this year, so congrats to him. Eric Young has a squad. Larry Parks and Blaine Para splitting a team this year. A former NBA legend head coach, Doug Moe, Doug Moe Jr., uh, splitting a team in Pros vs. Joes this year. That will be fun to have them in. Steve Hutcherson. Uh, we'll also have a team as team uh, team number 22. So we have uh, 14 spots to go here. Chris Holland and Alex Blake. Uh, Alex Blake, by the way, who has co-hosted a broadcast of the Pros vs. Joes before. He and uh, former guest of the show, Chris Holland, will be splitting a team. Dennis Young will have a team in the Pros vs. Joes competition. Another former guest of the show, Chris Carlson, American Mullet, will be in the contest as well. 
Uh, Brad Kirkland, congrats to you. You are in pros versus Joes. John Rozek, last year's $2,500 FFPC auction winner, will try to uh, win another title in the pros versus Joes competition this year. Nolan Ortiz and John Lamb splitting a pros versus Joes team, as well as the dynamic duo of Kimra Schlisher and Sean Childs, also splitting a team in pros versus Joes. We have Steve Lowinger and David Comite, uh, another uh, co-manager team splitting a, a squad. That's team number 30, so we have six to go here. Chris Lutz and Brent Solner, also in pros versus Joes. Uh, another former guest of the show, Brian Holgen. He will be splitting a team with Scott Campbell. They will uh, be co-managing a PVJ team. Team 33 is Richard Green and Joe Holmes. Uh, team 34 is Dan Williamson, the overhyped sleeper. Not that he is, but that's his team name, Dan Williamson. In the competition this year, the penultimate team, Joseph Lolly and Kevin Carey, splitting a team in the final squad in the Pros vs. Joe's competition this year, is uh, co-managed Leon Hughes and Jim Reagan. So congrats to all 36 teams. Uh, if you didn't make it, uh, I, better luck next year. There's always next year. Uh, we certainly want to uh, thank you for uh, participating. And, hey, listen, you maybe not have gotten into pros as Joe's, but the fact that you're in the drawing means you're probably going to have a, uh, a shot at the uh, $250,000 grand prize in the FFPC main event. So those are the 36 teams. Uh, you will be getting an email from Darren Armani from FantasyMojo.com regarding uh, which one of these six drafts works out best for you, get you lined up, and then you'll uh, be able to drive five on the show as we will be covering all of those drafts right here on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. Ryan, that was a lot of me talking, uh, and, and I feel like we have not incorporated you enough uh, in the show, so let's get right into it. We know that you're a former, you, you formerly played poker for a living. What are you doing for a living now when you're not playing High Stakes Fantasy Football? Yeah, I certainly did. Um, right now I'm a day trader working in New York City for a firm uh, downtown, and uh I really enjoy it because it uses a lot of the same skills as um, you would use in poker. Um, so I trade stocks, um, and uh, it, it's a prop trading firm, and which means that we trade the firm's own capital. So really the only people that we're swindling are ourselves when we make poor trades. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of fun, and, um, and that's what I do. That's exciting, Ryan. And, and I, you know, you, you say you, there, there's um, some transferable skills there between day trading and poker, but certainly managing uh, fantasy football teams and managing dynasty teams specifically, knowing when, uh, when is the, the right or the highest value you're going to get for a person, uh, a player, nor knowing the lowest value that you can buy them at, certainly there's some transferable skills there as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons I'm really drawn to dynasty fantasy football. And, um, I started doing Dynasty two years ago, and uh, I think probably the first Dynasty podcast I listened to, um, or, or the, one of the first podcasts I listened to was uh, your guys' podcast, and, um, and it was really cool, and, and it set me off on a path of, of playing Dynasty fantasy football, and I really, I, I got super into it, and, uh, and I, I, I haven't stopped since, and uh, I'm hoping to get better every year. And, um, yeah, that's, that's the goal. Well, God, listen, God bless you for listening to this show and being more excited about fantasy football rather mm -hmm. than having the opposite reaction of making uh, yourself want to throw up in your mouth uh, after you listen to the show. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to hear. Uh, listen, you have an interesting, well, interesting anecdote that we can bring up 
uh, about your high society team here last uh, last year, Ryan. You uh, you had a good showing in the uh, of course this is the 10K buy-in uh, live event uh, out in Vegas that uh, that uh, is is I think the last uh, draft we put on uh, every single year. Uh, you had a, a good season last year. You took the consolation prize. Uh, and, and when we were talking uh, about this before the show, you didn't even realize you took the consolation prize. Um, and you said you, uh, you had um, set in your phone a reminder to set your lineup in that league every single week just to make sure you're remaining competitive even though you didn't make the playoffs. So that's awesome. And then you end up making $4,000 basically off that uh, phone reminder. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, it's one of those things I, I feel like I probably – knew at the time that I took it, um, but I had totally forgotten. And it's, it's even possible that I just didn't know and, and set my, set my alarm to make sure I set my lineup and then set my lineup and then just assume that I had lost it because I don't know. I, I was, I was probably just so upset that I wasn't in the, uh, the playoffs, but um, no, it was a really fun league. Um, and it was the first time I had done that league. I, I didn't go to Vegas last year. Um, I, I played in the league and I drafted uh, via proxy online and uh, I'm not entirely sure how many of the, the 12 participants were in Vegas for the draft, but, um, but yeah, I was one of the ones that did it online and um, I decided I'm going to go out to Vegas this year and do, do the drafts in person. So it should be a lot more fun um, doing them in person and meeting all the guys. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think last year we probably had two or three uh, that did that in the high society league. It's always interesting because, you know, we, the people that are poning up $10,000 to play in, in an FFPC live league, you know, that they're super serious, they're super competitive and, and they get into it big time. What was it like Ryan going up against, you know, really the, the toughest competition that, that the FFPC has to offer in comparison to maybe some of the other leagues that you were in? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say the competition was much, much steeper than all my other leagues, and I was in some other pretty high-stakes leagues. Um, I, I've done the 5000 before and uh, some of the higher-stakes dynasty leagues, and I would say the $10,000 league, um, the players were really good, and I mean, certainly all the, all the players I, I wanted got drafted real early. And, um, you know, you, you never know, uh, just because it's a high-stakes buy-in doesn't mean the players are necessarily going to be good. Um, oftentimes in poker, you know, you would sit down at, at some of the higher-stakes games and, and you would still get some some bad players, you know. Probably the average was higher. The average skill level was higher in those games. But you, you really never know. So I didn't know what to expect. And um, I was I was pretty impressed. Um, I feel like I probably got slightly out, out-drafted. Um, I did get slightly unlucky in that league, um, but I, I also made some some poor picks. Um, so, I, first of all, the wide receivers got drafted way earlier than than any other league I was in uh, last year. And so, by the end of the second round, I think there was probably only like three or four running backs off the board, uh, wow. and, and Rob Gronkowski. And um, so, so my strategy was really to go wide receiver early, and uh, I ended up going wide receiver late because I just didn't have much of a choice. Or I, I, I was kind of assuming that, you know, eventually after round three or four, you know, there'd be a big running back run, and uh, there just wasn't. Um, so I, I had to react to that, and uh, it certainly the draft didn't go as expected. 
And Ryan, it's interesting that you bring that up because you've done several drafts already in 2017, and, and we've heard from a lot of the guests uh, on the show over the last month and a half, two months, uh, that running backs are, are, after last year, they're being pushed up once again. Obviously, we know what, uh, what the big three are uh, at, the, uh, at the top of round one, but in general, are you seeing the, the running back position in, in the early rounds, maybe more of them going off the board uh, significant, uh, significantly more than they were in 2016? Uh, I am. Yeah, I definitely am. And I, I think that's due to uh, different reasons. Um, first, there, there are just running backs in, in clear situations at the top this year. Um, I know last year we had Le'Veon Bell and, and David Johnson were obvious. Uh, uh, Ezekiel Elliott less so. And uh, people, but some of the running backs this year are just in better situations overall. But um, on top of that, I, I know that a lot of the running backs just overall in the NFL uh, scored a lot more touchdowns than they have in years, years past. And I, I do think that is one of the main reasons why um, – why in general running backs are, are being pushed up and, and scored higher last year than they normally do. Um, I think that uh, running backs scored on average about 42% of the, the offensive touchdowns last year, as opposed to around uh, around 30, 33% or something like that in the year before. Interesting. So, so people are going to probably overdraft. Uh, running back due to that reason, it should probably be somewhere in the middle, I would say. Um, not not as wide receiver heavy as, as last year, um, but it probably shouldn't be as running back heavy as it's going to be this year. Now, once again, us fantasy players just overcorrecting and, and, and just mm-hmm. going overboard in, in trying to fix what we did uh, last year. So that's interesting that you point that out. Now, when, when of course, we're talking with Ryan Thurlow, a $20,000 FFPC career winner uh, over the last two years uh, here on the, on the show tonight. Ryan, when you're doing these uh, draft expert squads and drafting them uh, here in the, uh, you know, um, May, June part of the year, are you ever trying, trying out different strategies like, hey, what happens if I grab a couple of tight ends early here? What happens if I go zero RB here? What happens if I take a couple of stud running backs here? Are you ever trying different strategies out like that as far as building different types of teams? Or are you just simply taking, a, by and large, a, a best player available approach? Well, I would say I'm, I'm t- trying to take the best player available approach. Um, the problem with that is uh, as the summer goes on, uh, oftentimes my idea of the best approach changes slightly. So I do end up doing different strategies um, sometimes as the summer goes on. But it's, uh, it's basically just, just trying to improve and, and figure out what's working the best against, against the players during the summer. And, um, and uh, yeah, you know, it, Dave Gerzak always says, you know, because people have asked us, oh, why don't you guys put out rankings or, or you know, who, who do you like better between this guy and this guy? And, like, oftentimes, I know I will, and, and, and Dave has done this too, um, Dave will say, like, look, you know, ask me this question now, and it's this, but if you ask me again in two weeks, I might change my mind. You know, the, everything's fluid, and I think not only with trying to build different teams up, but, but taking the best player available approach, depending upon when you're drafting – Best player available could be radically different uh, in the same parts uh, of each yeah, round. Exactly. So I think that's a good point to, yeah, to keep exactly. in mind. Mm-hmm. 
Ryan, let's uh, let's. I want to specifically talk about a, uh, another position change that we saw in the NFL this week, and it was Andre Ellington again. The Cardinals decided that uh, you know whatever it was, the three weeks they gave him at receiver, he wasn't cutting it, <laughs> so they move him back to running back uh, this uh, this coming year. So are you are you starting knowing that knowing that Ellington is leaving that wide receiver core? Are you starting to like guys like Chad Williams, J.J. Nelson, Jerron Brown more as sleepers in these DEs you're doing right now? Or are you just looking at Fitz and, and John Brown as, as the only really viable wide receivers in this offense? Yeah, I, I certainly am looking at them a bit more than I was in the past um, because I do think Ellington's a good player, and I figured he he would probably be a good, a, a good wide receiver, uh, at least in the slot um, but, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is there now, and uh, he'll be playing the slot for at least the next year or so unless he gets hurt. And um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of just assumed that they put Ellington there because he just wasn't cutting it as a running back, and um, they, they seem to not really know know how to, how to use him um, just because he, he's probably just not that good anymore. And um, as far as the other guys go, I, I, I can't – Arizona is definitely probably the hardest uh, wide receiving core to read at the moment, but um, uh, the top two wide receivers there are for sure Larry Fitzgerald and David Johnson. And so, you know, I'm not really sure I want to be battling it out for the third wide receiver spot in Arizona, especially when it's so unclear. And, um, and I, I I watched a, a lot of the, the uh, prospects coming out of college just on draft breakdown. And I wasn't a big fan of uh, Chad Williams. Um, I've never really been a big fan of John Brown uh, and especially in dynasty because he's got so many injuries. He's always dealing with something. I think he's got a sickle cell thing, uh, he's had concussions. And so it's, for me, it's mostly a stay away. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and and I think uh, you know obviously anybody who did that last year, they were happy that they did not have uh, Brown on their team. We have uh, so much more to talk about with Ryan Thurlow, a career winner of twenty thousand dollars in the FFPC. But we are going to take a quick break. When we do come back, we're going to talk about Julio Jones, whether he's still on the top upper echelon of wide receivers in fantasy football. You are listening to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour with Eric Balkman and Ryan Thurlow right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the HSFF Hour. I am Eric Balkman. My co-host tonight, Dave Gerzak, is off. So we have Ryan Thurlow, a career winner of $20,000, more than $20,000, in the FFPC co-hosting tonight, chatting about uh, some Arizona receivers before the break. Let's get in and and talk a a little bit about the receivers going off at the top of the first round in FFPC drafts right now. Those guys, Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, obviously we know all those guys. When you know, Ryan that those three are, are usually available in, in the four to six spots in the first round. I mean, not always, but by and large, uh, they're available. Would you make the case that the fact that Julio Jones has been so bit by the injury bug over the last few years, uh, especially in, in crunch time, that in, you know, in the, uh, the playoff, the money weeks, uh, weeks 14 to 16 uh, of the FFPC, knowing that he has been uh, you know, so hard hit by, uh, by nagging injuries, do you think that that puts him behind those other three guys? When would you be taking Beckham, Evans, and Brown all before Julio Jones this year? Um, honestly, I am going to go the other way on that, actually, because 
Um, to me, Julio Jones is the most talented wide receiver in the NFL, and he, he's always right at the top. And despite him having nagging injuries and, and, and missing several games pretty much every year, he's always finishing you know, in the top six uh, wide receivers. And I think he was sixth last year in PPR or so after missing several games and, and missing several snaps, honestly, in the games that he did play in. And um, I just think if he can put together a whole season where he sees, stays healthy, I see him putting up the most points. Um, pretty much everyone else in the first round uh, has some questions. I have some questions about um, Antonio Brown uh, might lose a couple, a couple uh, uh, targets a game to Martavis Bryant, assuming he's, he's going to be playing. Um, you never know about the, the status of Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and Odell Beckham could lose a few targets to Brandon Marshall. Um, and that, that whole uh, Giants passing game is, is going to be stacked this year. Now, of course, I expect Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown to get close to the same amount that they've had in the previous years. But, um, no, I, I like Julio Jones probably the best out of all of them. Uh, well, I'm just curious, you know, just thinking about this, uh, you know, hearing you answer that question. When, when you have looked at the teams that you've drafted so far, is there a favorite spot that you've liked, you know, the top three or, or the middle or, or maybe the back end? Is there a, a favorite uh, draft spot or draft area that, that you have uh, liked maybe a little bit better than, than uh, the rest of them so far this season? Uh, there definitely is. Um, I, I'd much prefer getting uh, one of the top. Um, running backs, I would say. I, I would say that Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson both just give you a massive advantage. And so if, I'm, if, if I would be able to choose that, I would take the first or the second spot and then go from there. Um, I, I've probably done 20 drafts so far this season, and I've gotten in the top two spots about once, I think. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, I, I've been drafting in the, like, 9 to 12 range pretty much all season, and it's okay. Um, but I, I think I, I'd much rather have one of those two. And then after those, the, the top two running backs, um, which I, I wouldn't necessarily put Ezekiel Elliott in that category. Um, uh, I, I'd probably prefer being in the middle. I, I just like um, uh, drafting somewhat in the middle so that, so that you sort of know around, uh, it, you know, um, like, Every every twelve players that get drafted, you sort of have an idea of who's going to be there for you in the, in the next round. And when you draft, you know, at the turn, and you have to pick two players at one time, it, it's really hard to predict who's going to be there uh, in your next picks after that. So I like being somewhere in the middle. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Eagles' passing game and and uh, what what they have done this year. They've made some radical changes. We talked a little bit about it on the show uh, ever since the start of free agency, but I want to get your opinion, Ryan. Where does the, the draft value lie uh, among the, uh, the Eagles pass catchers this year? If you had to invest in one of these guys, let's frame it that way. If you had to invest either in, in Ertz, Jeffrey, Jordan Matthews, Torrey Smith, Darren Sproles, knowing where they're going in drafts since you've done so many of them, has there been an Eagle that, that you found yourself um, you know, really targeting or, or investing in more than the others? Honestly, I have don't think I've drafted any Eagles players this entire offseason. Um, I liked Wentz coming out of college. 
Um, but after the first year, you know, he, he, he showed a little bit in the beginning of the season and tailed off quite a bit. I'm worried he's going to be able to sustain more than one wide receiver. And because of that, I'm not entirely sure who to pick. Um, Alshon is a, a pretty good wide receiver, but um, he, he's never really proven that he's an elite wide receiver to me. And, of course, he's always injured. Um, I like Jordan Matthews' talent a lot, um, but he's in the slot. He'll be competing for targets with Zach Ertz. And his ceiling is not as high as Alshon's um, just because the his yards per per catch is going to be slightly lower being in the slot position, the slot position and uh, Zach Ertz. Well, I, I do think he's a, a pretty good tight end. Um, you know, he's going to be competing more for targets with, with the new wide receivers in town. So, honestly, I'm not really targeting any of them. Um, Sproles will be competing with, with two other running backs for targets. And uh, to me, the, the Philadelphia passing situation is a stay away as well. That's interesting. Okay. All right. Well, good stuff there. Let's, uh, let's uh, head out west, as they say. Uh, knowing what uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders were able to do with uh, Trevor Simeon under center last year, and they both performed pretty well. Are you rooting uh, for Simeon if you own Thomas or Sanders? Are you rooting for Simeon to get the job again in 2017? Or do you think that there's actually a higher upside if Paxton Lynch becomes the quarterback for Denver, that maybe Thomas and Sanders see their values and and maybe their ADP go up a, a little bit more if Lynch is the quarterback? If you own those guys or if you plan on drafting them, who's the quarterback that you want to see throwing to him this season? Yeah, I would say I would be rooting for uh, Paxton Lynch because he, he's more of a gunslinger, uh, gunslinger mentality. And Trevor Simeon, while he, he seems pretty decent, pretty solid, um, he's, he's really not going to spread the field and open the field up for, for more than it's just those two wide receivers. Uh, so I'd be rooting for Paxton Lynch um, despite not knowing whether he's a good player or not. Um, you know, if... <laughs> If if not, um, I, he he should still see enough volume, I would say, to to uh, to be good for for both Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. And I would say I've been getting a, a fair amount of both of those players, although not um, you know I, they're probably they're probably on about thirty percent of my teams. Let's check it out yeah. right now, Demarius Thomas. Uh, going going on average at the 307 uh, in drafts right now, in, in FFPC drafts right now. And then Emmanuel Sanders going at the 608. So, uh, Ryan, conceivably, if you wanted to, and I don't know how many people would want to do this, but I think that there, there's a good amount of them, um, if they see value in the Denver passing game, they would not only grab both these guys, but grab both of these guys in the same league. For sure, yeah. It's, it's certainly possible. Um, in the drafts I've been doing – it seems like Demarius Thomas is getting a little overlooked, and I, I see him in the fourth round quite a bit. So for de- when, when he's there, then I certainly have no problem taking him. Um, you know, they they've both been getting around 25% uh, each of the passing uh, volume in that offense, and um, it it can't really afford to go down um, any if they're going to if they're going to beat their ADP. Um, and if there is another uh, wide receiver or tight end that emerges there, it, it's possible it could go down a bit, which is a little scary. But um, they're both so good at wide receiver that uh, I'm not too worried. 
and both proven commodities as well. It's not like these guys are rookies. We know what, we can, what they can do. We've seen them do it. Plan on seeing them do it again this year. Tonight's guest, uh, tonight's co-host, really, Ryan Thurlow, a uh, career winner of the uh, FFPC $20,000 in prizes. So congrats to you on that, my friend, and thanks so much for hanging out. I'm Eric Balkan. Of course, this is the HSFF Hour. And let's go to a couple of emails for you, Ryan, tonight that we got in. Uh, First one is from Steve in Louisville, not Louisville, Louisville, South Carolina, unless they pronounce it Louisville, but it reads Louisville. Uh, He says, Ryan, I honestly can't remember Doug Baldwin ever going this high in drafts before. What am I missing that everyone else seems to get, or are they just nuts? Good luck this season. That is Steve in Louisville, South Carolina. And uh, he, he brings up a point. I'm, I'm kind of uh, agreeing with him that uh, on this, I'll, you know, I've seen Doug Baldwin go in the second round before uh, in the mid-second, which is like, you know, kind of like raising my eyebrow a little bit. But his ADP is at 304 right now. So solidly in that early third round conversation, you see a lot of people drafting uh, uh, Doug Baldwin. Uh, maybe they get Elliott or Bell or Johnson in the first round and they go receiver, receiver, and Baldwin is a guy that they are adding as either their uh, number one receiver or number two receiver. How do you feel about Doug Baldwin at that spot this year, Ryan? Yeah, I don't think he's missing much, honestly. <laughs> um, Baldwin is a pretty good player. Uh, he plays out of the slot predominantly, and I, I, um, he, he, he never used to got, get near the volume that he's been getting the last two years. Um, and that's one of the main reasons for his breakout. Uh, Russell Wilson has been playing a lot better, um, you know, since his first year, year and a half. Uh, last year, he didn't play as great um, injuries. But um, with Russell Wilson really slinging it around uh, and Seattle throwing the ball quite a bit, uh, uh, you know, Baldwin has performed really well. He's also stayed very healthy, which um, is certainly extremely helpful um, in season long. And um, I just think, you know, it all being equal, um, if all the top wide receivers are going to stay healthy, I, I don't think Baldwin should be in the top top 12, top 15 of them. Um, they've got some other guys uh, who, who are very talented as well. Uh, Tyler Lockett, Jimmy Graham, um, CJ Proceis, and Paul Richardson. And... Um, I think they could eat into some of his targets uh, this season. Uh, but I, I do like Doug Bowen as a player, and I would be drafting him probably in the fourth or fifth round if he's still there. When you uh, – Billy Joel uh, in, in the chat room right now, Billy Joel 166 says Allen Robinson is going to bounce back big time this year. And Robinson is one of those receivers going in the third round after Doug Baldwin, uh, going at the 309 right now in FFPC drafts, actually right behind Demaryius Thomas. If it came down to it, uh, Ryan, you would rather have Allen Robinson over Doug Baldwin this year, correct? Um, honestly, it's pretty close. I think I might rather have Doug Baldwin um, just because – Allen Robinson uh, last year was was uh, he played okay, but it, uh, the quarterback situation was atrocious, obviously with Blake Bortles, and it's not going to get any better um, because Blake Bortles is still there. Uh, their defense is going to improve, which means they're going to throw the ball less, and they probably will will run the ball a lot more than they were last year as well, which is because they have Leonard Fournette, and and they're going to changed their offensive style for Leonard Fournette. So honestly, uh, I'm not sure Allen Robinson is even going to be in my top 24 wide receivers this year. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Okay. 
All right, I can uh, I can see that. I can see the argument there. Uh, let's. Um, this is another uh, email that we got, and this is more of a not a philosophical question, but um, this is uh, from Mike in Franklin, North Carolina. He says, Ryan, do you like joining the high stakes leagues for the prospect of winning a ton of cash? or to see how you measure up against really serious competition. That is Mike in Franklin, North Carolina. Thank you for the email, Mike. Uh, and I, Ryan, I'm assuming he's talking about the, the you know, leagues like the High Society League. Um, I mean, it's probably a mixture, I would imagine, or, or both, that, that yes, you, you want the opportunity to win a lot of money, but you also want to see how good am I really uh, at, at fantasy football. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm definitely um, for the money somewhat, but it's mostly just, um, for fun, honestly, and it's a lot more fun when you're playing for high stakes if you can afford it. And uh, I like pitting myself against the best players that there are, just whatever I do. And um, I expect to fail quite a bit in the in the beginning, and I've certainly done my fair share of that. But um, no, I, I would say I, I play for fun and um, just the intellectual pursuit of doing it. So uh, just any money that I win is is the cherry on top. The cherry on top, indeed, Ryan. The cherry on top of uh, the opening segment here uh, of our show, your interview. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, and I don't. I know you don't want to reveal too much, given that you know the highest of high stakes uh, players are, are no doubt tuned in tonight uh, to listen to this massively popular podcast. Uh, but what if I had to ask you, uh, what what is a player that is being drafted right now in the first few rounds that you see as a big time bust? We obviously you know talked a, a little bit uh, about Allen Robinson. Uh, there and, and you don't view him as a top 20 receiver this year, so I guess he would qualify as an answer to this question. But a guy being drafted uh, that you don't see yourself taking in the first few rounds this year, and then maybe a guy later on in the double digits or maybe you know post-round 15, post-round 20, if you want to get super deep uh, in some of these DEs that you've done, a guy that uh, you've been acquiring there in a lot of spots because you feel uh, the value there, uh, the upside dictates it. So uh, a bust and a sleeper that you can give us tonight, sir. Sure, no worries. Um, I think there are probably a lot of guys in the first two rounds that I am not ever drafting. Um, the first one would probably be Brandon Cooks. Uh, I guess he's going wider. Let's see, overall twenty-six. I probably wouldn't take him in the first three or four rounds, honestly. Um, uh, I, I definitely think that he could. He he could. Um, he could he could be a value around there, but I, I just don't see him getting enough volume in, in the Patriots passing offense. I think Amari Cooper is going way way too high. I think he's a decent player, but he from what I have watched of him, um, he he's not good enough to be to be going in the top uh, two rounds. I would say so. Honestly, Amari Cooper would probably be my most overrated player. Uh, with Brandon Cooks in there and Des Bryant, just for the fact that he he doesn't get enough volume to to be a, a wide receiver one. And let's see, uh, as far as guys I'm getting late in the the draft experts drafts, I'd say I've got a lot of Taylor Gabriel, um, who's the big play threat, who could potentially get uh, a, a real a real nice role if um, Julio Jones goes down, which he d- seems to do a lot. And let's see, I've gotten a lot of uh, uh, Marvin Jones and Kenny Britt as well. 
That's interesting. I like I like Britt this year too, uh, especially for where he's going. I think it makes a lot of sense to grab him uh, on those DEs. I want to get back to just real quickly on on Brandon Cooks because you know David and I have talked on this show about, and we always bring it back to the the year that the Patriots had Wes Welker, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, and Brandon Lloyd, and all four of those guys were being drafted very high. And Dave said, "Look, one of these guys is going to be a bust. That that, that you just cannot draft." four pass catchers from the same offense in the first three rounds or whatever it was, first four rounds, and expect them to hold their value. And, and he was right. I mean, they did not all hold their value that year. We, we had Aaron Hernandez because of an injury, but Brandon Lloyd was a massive bust that year as well. For you, Ryan, when you look at the Patriots this year, Brandon Cook's being drafted high. Julian Edelman, you know, he's dropped off a little bit, but he is still being drafted uh, fairly high. Obviously, we know where Rob Gronkowski is going. So of those three, you expect Gronk and Edelman uh, to hold their value where Cook's probably is not going to hold value. I, I do think so. I, I do think they all kind of drop a little bit because they are all so good. They will all eat into each other's targets. Um, I, I do like Gronk quite a bit this year just because he, A, he's Gronk. And B, um, he, well, well, he missed a lot of time last year, obviously. But I, I do think uh, without Martinez, Martellus Bennett. Um, I think they're downgrading slightly going from Martellus Bennett to Dwayne Allen. And um, I, I think that Gronk will actually get a lot more look this year. Um, he, they use him as a blocker quite a bit, especially the year prior to last year. They used him a lot as a blocker because their offensive line was, was terrible. Last year it was slightly better. Um, it well, was much better last year, and this year their offensive line is going to be pretty solid too. So because of that, I think they'll be able to use them in the passing game a lot. And um, uh, I like, I, I've always liked Edelman. I think he was one of the most underrated uh, players. Um, just because he's a slot receiver doesn't mean that he can't be one of the best receivers in the league. And uh, but. When I watched him last year, I do think his play actually dropped off um, somewhat significantly. Uh, and it wasn't all that noticeable because Tom Brady is Tom Brady. <laughs> and right. uh, because the, the, the rest of the wide receivers did a great job of, of getting open and allowing him to kind of work underneath and, and do his thing. But I am a little bit worried about Edelman going forward, uh, especially in Dynasty. I've got, I got rid of him in a couple leagues. And um, so that's that's probably where I stand on on those three. That's where you stand uh, on the Patriots, but uh, we don't know where you stand on so much, uh, so many other topics that we're going to get to after the break, including Eric Decker, Jeremy Macklin, so much more. Uh, this is the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. I'm Eric Balkman, Ryan Thurlow, a $20,000 career winner in the FFPC co-hosting tonight. We'll be right back in a minute right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. The HSFF Hour rolls on here in this beautiful mid-June weather we are having in northeast Wisconsin. Uh, fantastic to be up here, and you're missing out. I'm Eric Balkman, slightly above average host of this show. Ryan Thurlow, $20,000 FFPC career winner, co-hosting with me tonight as the Dizzle is getting the Nizite is off. Uh, we uh, we want to get into uh, your, your tweets, your emails. We're going to do that a little bit later. Let's get into the news that is going around the NFL right now. Uh, thanks to Football Guys. Thanks to Roto World. Thanks to Rob for tonight's rundown as we get into it. And the first thing I want to bring up tonight, uh, let's go to the worst team in the NFL and talk about them. Eric Decker has been informed by the Jets <laughs> that he will either be released or traded this week, according to sources. Uh, this uh, posted to Twitter by Adam Schefter from ESPN. This is um, 
something that had been talked about uh, for the majority of the offseason, the possibility of the Jets not only letting Brandon Marshall go, but letting Eric Decker go as well. And it appears that both of them will be in new uniforms next year. Eric Decker does have a cap hit of $8.75 million this year, $3 million in dead money, and it appears that he will be in a new uniform by the time September rolls around. How many years, Ryan, do you think that Eric Decker has left in the league? Can he be a top 25 receiver in 2017, depending upon where he lands? Uh, top, top, how many did you say? Top 20? Top tw- 25. So like essentially like uh, okay. a, a wide receiver too. Um, probably not unless he lands in, uh, Baltimore, which is, is actually probably pretty likely. Um, I, I would say he's, he's a, a very good player. Um, he's always scored a ton of touchdowns, which I'm not sure you, you can necessarily count on. Uh, every year, but he he seemed to be pretty consistent at that in the past. Um, I think Baltimore would be a great landing spot. If he went to Buffalo, forget about it. Uh, it, It's pretty dependent on where he goes and and how much opportunity he'll have. Um, But I do like Eric Decker as a player. I think he's pretty pretty good. He's never really excited me as a player, Um, but I know there are a ton of Eric Decker lovers out there, and and, and they love everything that he does. And <laughs> I, I understand it, but I'm not I'm not a huge Decker fan, honestly. Uh, I think he can land in the top 25 if he goes to Buffalo or to uh, Baltimore. Um, if he goes to oh I don't know, uh, there, there there's really not that much opportunity in uh, on other teams at the moment. But I don't I don't think he was going to do much in in the, and the Jets either, uh, just because that team is going to be so, so terrible this year. Yeah, it, it is It is going to be a very bad team, and you can tell because apparently their number one receiver is named Quincy Inunua, Uh if Decker is let go. Inunua expected to be the Jets' number one wide receiver this season, starting opposite the deep threat with, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's call it fungible hands, Robbie Anderson, who uh, got <laughs> open quite a bit uh, down the stretch last year and got a lot of targets, did not catch very many of them. Those are your starting Dutch receivers right now. Our Darius Stewart uh, expected to be the number three receiver. I, th- I believe I just saw on the, uh, on the newswire that he actually has a thumb injury, some sort of hand injury, so he might be behind uh, the eight ball uh, coming into the season as well. Um, Eric Decker uh, last Stewart, year for the Jets. I'm sorry, go ahead. You said Ardarius Stewart is the guy with the hand injury. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was like I'd have to I'd have to look it up, but I thought it was like a thumb or something, and and uh, you know they, they didn't expect uh, it to be serious at all. But any time a, a rookie is is missing reps, that's that's always a red flag for me uh, as far as looking at him for redraft. Um, you look at um, what Eric Decker did for the Jets last year. Averaged seven targets a game when in the games he was healthy. Brandon Marshall was still the number one there. He averaged eight and a half targets a game. Both of those guys uh, essentially going to be gone this year. Anunwa uh, saw 105 targets last year. We could see him uh, expound on that quite a bit in 2017. How good of a season, Ryan, do you think Quincy Anunwa has in front of him? And what type of round or, or what area in drafts would you be looking at drafting Anunwa now? Uh, I would say Inunua has always been a enigma to me. Um, he's very, he, uh, he, he looks like such a big guy. He looks kind of like a tight end and then yet he, he's very fast. 
and uh, he kind of sneaks up on you. Um, I, I honestly can't see him being a number one wide receiver if he's going to go against top cornerbacks. I think he's going to get eaten alive. Um, I, I don't know if he will be up against top quarterbacks, but I'm assuming they're going to use him in the X wide receiver position. Um, and if so, I, I think it's going to be very bad for him. Um, I do have him projected for 20% of the passing volume there, which uh, would be about 110 targets. Um, and uh, the, the problem with that, um, if he gets about 20% of the passing volume, he's probably going to be scoring less than a, a quarter of a touchdown a game, and that it will not add it up to very many fantasy points by the end of the year. So I probably wouldn't draft Anunua, um in the top 25 rounds, honestly. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to be quite high on him because he is the number one for that team, probably, at this point. Um, I do like our Darius Stewart as a player. Um, uh, hopefully he's not too injured uh, and, and is able to see uh, some snaps uh, in that Z wide receiver role. I think he could be good. Um, it, it's certainly possible that Anunua replaces Decker in the slot, and if he does, uh, it's, it's probably a good a good spot for him. Uh, I would probably up his projections somewhat, um, but I, I really don't like any player in this offense besides Bilal Powell uh, and, and maybe Matt Forte uh, if Bilal Powell goes down. Um, ASJ uh, could be an interesting player. Um, but uh, they, they were pretty run-heavy last year. And uh, despite having a really bad team, um, they, they ran the ball uh, quite often. And um, I expect them to be slightly, uh, you know, around 60% pass, um, which for a team with that, that was down a lot um, isn't that much. So I expect them to be running it. And uh, I do like Chad Hansen. Uh, I like our Darius Stewart. Uh, not a big fan of Robbie Anderson. Um, he's very fast, but he, he certainly can't run routes well at all. And uh, not a big fan of any of them, honestly. Yes, and, and uh, you got to believe that the Jets probably aren't huge fans of, of what the, mm-hmm. of the talent they they have in there right now as well. So that it's going to be tough to certainly watch this year. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry to uh, Jimmy Wagner, uh, Jets fan in, in the uh, in the chat room right now. Uh, but he, you know, he's of the opinion, and this is this is uh, an interesting point too. That you know the Jets will probably do just enough to to screw them out of a franchise quarterback in in next year's uh, draft. So everybody's expecting gloom and doom, two and fourteen, three and thirteen. Maybe they go seven and nine or eight and eight, and then uh, miss out on the quarterbacks too. So that would be certainly interesting to watch. Let's uh, let's uh, go to Los Angeles here now uh, and talk a little bit about Mike Williams, who is going to be held out for the rest of the off-season program uh, as he is uh, still recovering from a disc injury in uh, in his back. This according to Adam Schefter of ESPN. Uh, the Chargers do expect Mike Williams back in time uh, for training camp. I can't imagine that they'll be running him very hard uh, through practices in training camp. And uh, again, this is, uh, I mentioned it earlier, missed time and missed reps for uh, rookies, especially receivers. That is bad especially for redraft, um, you have a, a, you know, a, a lot of people who are very high in them in, uh, in dynasty drafts, Ryan. Um, but as you look at you know, 
Keenan Allen coming back, uh, the, the emergence, the expected emergence of Hunter Henry, still have Gates and Benjamin, Tyrell Williams, who, who showed a lot last year. There's a lot of different options in uh, Chargers camp right now. At what point do we start saying that we can't draft Mike Williams uh, for redraft if he continues to miss time, if this back injury doesn't get better? Uh, because the more time he misses, the harder it is uh, for him to make a significant impact as a rookie. Yeah, it, it's certainly getting towards that point. Um, I've probably got Mike Williams in three or four of my drafts in like the, I don't know, 18th, 20th round or something like that in these draft experts leagues. Um, but I, I didn't draft him in uh, Dynasty at all because uh, I liked a lot of the other players there in that first round. Um, I, I think he's an okay talent, um, but I do like uh, Tyrell. Uh, I'm a huge Keenan Allen fan. I think he's going to get uh, at least 25% of the target share in that offense, Keenan is. And um, uh, I think if Mike Williams is out, I'll have to bump Tyrell up quite a bit, um, bump up uh, Hunter Henry as well. Um, I, I think if, if both Keenan and Tyrell stay healthy, uh, I don't think Mike Williams will see all that much volume, uh, even if he is healthy. So if he's not healthy, it's not looking good for him, for sure. Well, it wasn't looking good for Jeremy Macklin in Kansas City this year, so they released him, and he is a free agent right now looking for a new team. He's already visited with Buffalo. Uh, he left Baltimore, uh, his visit with the Ravens, without a contract. John Harbaugh, uh, who met with Macklin there, said that uh, Macklin actually had a wedding to attend this weekend. Uh, Macklin uh, really hasn't visited anybody else other than those teams. I haven't really heard uh, him mentioned, uh, you know, rumored to sign with any other teams other than those teams. So let's talk a little bit about what Macklin could do uh, for uh, your fantasy team this year if he signs in Buffalo or if he signs in Baltimore uh, Ryan, where would you rather see if you own Macklin or if you've already drafted him, where would you see, rather see him land? Well, I'd much rather see him land in Baltimore if, uh, if I'm a Macklin fan. Um, and if he goes to Buffalo, uh, forget about him <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then I think there are some other spots actually that would be good for him. I think he could go to Arizona. Um, that would, he would certainly, uh, he, he would certainly push Larry Fitzgerald for targets even. Um, I think Macklin's an, uh, a decent talent. I don't think he was as nearly as good as his stats were uh, the year he played for Chip Kelly, uh, just based on all the volume he got that year. But I, I think he's a, a decent enough player still, um, assuming he's recovered from his injuries from last year, that he could get some significant volume uh, in an offense. And uh, I, I think uh, there are – maybe one or two other teams that could potentially sign him as well. I, I know uh, Baltimore actually has significant cap uh, trouble. Um, at, they're, they're pretty close to, to being over the cap already. Um, so they would have to, to rework some contracts to, to get a guy like Macklin or Decker into their cap, um, but they could still do it. Um, and I do think it's even possible that we see Detroit – uh, get rid of either Golden Tate or Marvin Jones. They both have like a six or seven or eight million dollar cap hit this year that they could or that they could save by cutting them. And um, yeah, that's just kind of a, a random hot take. Uh, I think 
Yeah, he could be I like it by a guy by by a team like Detroit. Very interesting. Well, keeping it in Baltimore, uh, let's talk about uh, Dennis Pitta, the who has dislocated his hip for the third time. Uh, 32 years old. It appears that uh, he has played his last NFL down. Uh, the Ravens did clear some cap space. As you mentioned, they are not in the greatest cap situation. They saved $2.5 million this year that they could put towards. Uh, two guys we talked about, Jeremy Macklin, Eric Decker, uh, or another receiver if they wanted. You look at the uh, Ravens tight end situation uh, in Baltimore right now, Ryan, and it's uh, a cavalcade of um, you know, some, some has been some never was is, uh, Ben Watson, Crockett Gilmore, Max Williams, Darren Waller. Is there anybody there uh, that you think uh, will see an uptick in value for FFPC leagues, uh, this year, or is it a situation where you just want to stay away and see if they do land Macklin, uh, or Decker? Well, I'm, uh, I certainly haven't been staying away. Uh, I've been kind of targeting that position, trying to get, um, anybody who I think is going to be there. Uh, I think Crockett Gilmore actually has a pretty nice chance with um, with Ben Watson still being injured and not being able to to practice right now. Um, ben Watson has been hurt for a long time and uh, he's, he's getting up there in age. Crockett Gilmore, I think, is practicing already. Um, he was very good when he is on the field, um, and I, I do think Max Williams would be good too, um, but. He, he's also been hurt most of his career as well. So uh, if it's going to be – I had to choose one of the three of them, I would probably take Crockett Gilmore, and I have been in, in several weeks. Uh, but, of course, you know, it, I can't have uh, certainty over, you know, 50% or something like that. But I, I do think it's going to be such a, such a high-scoring um, spot to be in that I, I would like to take a, a few chances there. You might as well, especially given where these guys are going in drafts right now. Nobody is paying uh, too much to get any of these tight ends, so it is well worth uh, spending uh, that little draft capital to get a lot uh, with the upside that these guys could provide in a tight end and I think, scoring league. I think if Decker actually goes there, um, I'm going to like that tight end situation less just because uh, Decker would get a lot of the over-the-middle targets himself. Um, look, you know, speaking of guys who uh, may not have anything left, Jamal Charles uh, has been participating in light drills with the running backs during OTAs uh, this week in uh, in Denver with his new team. Do you? I mean, people are still drafting him in the FFPC. He's still going in the tenth, eleventh round. So obviously, there are people believing that Charles is going to have a, a fantasy impact this year. Maybe it's just as a handcuff. Maybe it's a you know just a third down back, but. Uh, they wouldn't be drafting him if they didn't think he had anything left. What about you, Ryan? Have you hit on Charles in, in many leagues? Is he a guy that you're looking at, given his track record and the fact that you can get him in a double-digit round right now? Uh, yeah, no, I don't have Charles on any of my teams this year. Uh, I like uh, I like Spencer Ware as a player. Um, I like Kareem Hunt as a player. And I, I don't really want uh, a running back uh, who can't seem to stay healthy in a three-way committee. Um, even if it is uh, Jamal Charles and even if it is in, in Kansas City with Andy Reid, um, I, I don't think he necessarily would be the touchdown uh, or the goal line back in there. Um, so I don't think his, his touchdown outside would be high. And uh, so, no, I, I haven't gotten any Jamal Charles this year. Um, I, I kind of see him in that Sproles role, type of role where he's catching uh, – 
as many passes as he can. Um, but I also think there's a significant chance that he even gets cut before the season, maybe as high as 50%. And uh, so, for me, I'm staying away. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point. This is a guy that's going in. Again, it's hard to rip on anybody for a, a pick in the double-digit rounds, but you're also talking about investing a 10th or 11th round pick on a guy that really doesn't have a roster spot sewn up. So I, I think that that is uh, important to think about when you are on the clock in those rounds and considering Charles. And the last two guys I want to talk about in this segment before we get to our final break, uh, two guys that you just mentioned, Kareem Hunt and Spencer Ware, that you like them both as players, and Hunt is now in the fold in Kansas City as he signs his rookie deal this week. It's interesting because I've heard a lot of talk about Kareem Hunt maybe being the guy this year, but you look at how the the FFPC players are drafting him, and Kareem Hunt's going uh, in the 10th round right now, whereas Spencer Ware is going in the 5th round. So there's a significant distance between these two guys that are supposedly fighting over that starting running back spot. How do you fall in on this, uh, Ryan? Would you rather invest a 5th round pick on Ware, uh, a 10th round pick, uh, or 11th round pick uh, on Kareem Hunt, or try to get both, or, or stay away from uh, from uh, either of those guys? Uh, I think they're both uh, priced pretty well, honestly. Um, I, I like Spencer Ware as a player, and I don't think he's just going to see the role to Kareem Hunt right away, if at all. And uh, so I probably would be taking Spencer Ware right around where he is. And uh, Kareem Hunt, I kind of see in that um, uh, Derrick Henry role, honestly, where if he gets a chance, uh, and where it goes down, you know, he would be a, a running back one for you, uh, provided that Jamal Charles is not going strong. And, uh, but, I'm, you know, as far as it goes right now, he'll have a small role in the offense, I think, uh, to start the year. Uh, but I don't think it'll be significant to, to be fantasy relevant uh, right away, at least. And so I think he's more of a handcuff. So 10th round sounds about right. It does sound about right, and it sounds about right that it's time to take our last break of the show uh, tonight. I'm Eric Balfman, Ryan Thurlow, a $20,000 FFPC career winner, joining me in the co-host chair tonight here on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. Emails, tweets, and more all coming up right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Final segment of the weekend here on the HSFF Hour. Congratulations to all of you who got in as a FFPC Joe in the Pros vs. Joe's contest uh, that we had announced earlier at the top of the show. Uh, We will uh, be rooting for you to continue the tradition of FFPC Joe's uh, winning that competition. Uh, You can go back and uh, download this later or uh, you know, uh, listen to the beginning to see if you uh, got chosen, or you can just check your email inbox because you'll probably be getting emails uh, from either Darren Armani from Fantasy Mojo or from Chris Lambert from the FFPC, uh, getting you squared away for that competition. Uh, let's before we get to that and 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 talk about the pros versus Joes and and cover those drafts. We do have the matter of answering your tweets and emails. <laughs> a question for Eric Dave or tonight's guest, send them a tweet at HSFF Hour on Twitter. Email the show at HighStakesFantasyFootball at gmail.com. Post it in the chat room during the broadcast. Hashtag your tweet with HSFF or just smack Eric in the head. That's HighStakesFantasyFootball at gmail.com or at HSFF Hour on Twitter. 
kicking things off tonight, we have uh, a tweet from at BC Kirkland, of course, uh, Brad Kirkland, who was one of the Joes selected. Congratulations to you, Brad. He uh, tweets at us uh, for tonight's show, who do you like better, Cameron Meredith or Quincy Inunua? Thanks. Well, Ryan, you, you talked about not liking Inunua. Uh, I'm assuming that you like Cameron Meredith better than Inunua this year. Boom, Cameron Meredith, by far. <laughs> I'm a big Cameron Meredith fan. He's 6'3", he's fast, he runs good routes, uh, catches the ball in traffic. I think he's going to be a good player. Yeah, and, and again, I, I just I don't understand this. I mean, he's, he's barely going in the 10th round of drafts. I'm, I'm a fan of his uh, this year. I think he is uh, well worth his value there. I, he makes a lot of sense uh, if you uh, need a receiver uh, going into that 9, 10, 11th range. Uh, you can you can only probably do worse than Meredith there. I really like him, and I'm sure I'll have him a lot this year. Uh, let's go to emails. George in uh, Zanesville, Ohio. What do you make of Adam Teicher's report that Tyreek Hill won't start for the Chiefs even in the wake of Macklin's release? Thanks, fellas. Thanks for the email, George. This was kind of interesting that I saw after Macklin had got released last week, uh, Adam Teicher, who I think is the uh, ESPN reporter for the Chiefs, uh, wrote a story on Monday uh, saying that that it would be um, uh, Wilson and Conley, uh, Albert Wilson and Chris Conley starting, and then Tyree Kill, um, you know, coming in after that. I thought that was interesting. Well, you know, why wouldn't you want your your best playmaker on the field as much as you can, especially when Andy Reid had already said, "Look, we're, we got to get this guy on the field more." I mean, clearly the fact that Kansas City is releasing Macklin. Um, makes me believe that they have a lot of faith in both Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill this year. So even if Hill doesn't start, i, I got to believe that, that they are going to be running a large chunk of that offense uh, through him. So for me, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference if he starts, if he doesn't start, because I know that he is a playmaker that the Chiefs need on the field in order to win football games. What's your take on uh, Tyreek Hill, Ryan? Yeah, that's certainly the million-dollar question uh, this offseason. And I, I really don't know where to stand on Tyreek Hill. Uh, he, he certainly has quite a bit of talent, um, very fast. He runs good routes, catches the ball well. I don't really have any knocks on Tyreek Hill, and I think his ceiling could be pretty high. Um, but I am worried that that he won't be on the field, you know, more than 70% of the time. If that's the case, uh, his, his ceiling can't be that high. Um, I, I've got him slated for... 19 or 20 percent of the passing volume in that offense, which uh, it's not a very high um, pass offense uh, with Alex Smith. Uh, that could definitely change if, if they switch quarterbacks in the season or even next year. Um, and I do think that he will get some some end arounds out of the backfield, uh, probably around 30 or 35 of those throughout the season. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to be in uh, the red zone packages just because of his size, but if he is, um, uh, I, I do like him a fair amount. Um, he, he does he does kind of have a mean streak to him, um, a little bit in the, the Steve Smith light uh, sector. Um, so I, I like Ty- Tyreek, um, but I do think Travis Kelsey will be the most targeted receiver in that offense. Uh, I, I think the running backs will get – um, a lot of targets, and uh, aside from those two guys, uh, I'm not sure I could really get into anyone else. Uh, I do, I do have a favorite sleeper on that team, but you you probably won't see him this season, at least on on the offensive side of the ball. I think he'll play a lot of special teams. I like Jehu Chesson, um, pretty much getting no love from anybody, which 
which uh, you know I, I think uh, I think if we see him get a chance this year or next year, uh, I like his chances. Keep an eye on him for sure, especially in dynasty leagues. Uh, a, num- a name to remember. Billy in North Las Vegas, Nevada. We touched on this a little bit earlier, Ryan, but he says, or he writes, do you guys feel like John Brown is a good proven player coming off a bad year bounce back candidate? Uh, your thoughts on John Brown, Ryan? Uh, I don't think you're very uh, bullish on him. No, I'm not too bullish on him. I, I think he's a good, I think he's an okay player. I think he's a decent player. He's very fast. His routes are, are better than average. Uh, I don't think his hands are very good. Um, and I think that he'd be vying for the number three uh, wider uh, receiving spot in the, in the Cardinals offense. So I'm not, I'm not that high on John Brown. Yeah, Fitz and David Johnson are clearly the guys you want to mm-hmm. get there. Uh, Brown exactly. going later than those two, obviously, but uh, maybe, maybe not late enough yet uh, for him to be a value. <laughs> Jimmy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric and Ryan, are you concerned about Theo Riddick this year coming off a bad injury and returning to a much more crowded backfield than he left? Great show. That is Jimmy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thanks for emailing us, Jimmy. Uh, Theo Riddick is a guy that uh, I think we've touched on. We've talked more uh, Amir Abdullah on the show uh, over the last uh, couple of months, uh, and, and Riddick is, is uh, a guy that we haven't touched on. But we know what he does. I mean, he's a, he's a pass catcher. He's a guy that uh, players have, have always loved um, – you know, drafting to, you know, in, in uh, PPR formats right now, he is, uh, he is going at the 802 in FFPC leagues. That seems a little bit low to me, but when you consider what Detroit's been doing, uh, they have Abdullah coming back. Um, they, they, we saw what Zach Zenner could do last year. He's still in the mix. And then they felt like they, they weren't good enough yet, so they went out and got Matt uh, Asiata as well. Now, say what you will about Asiata. He's not that talented. He's just a touchdown guy, and he may not even make the team. Okay, fine, but they still went out and signed him. So what do you make about Riddick coming back to this backfield uh, that seems uh, much deeper than it was when he got hurt last season, Ryan? For sure, yeah. I, I like Riddick as a player quite a bit. I like Amir Abdullah as a player even more. Um, but... I mean, they have, what, nine running backs on their roster? I mean, obviously they can't keep them all, but, like, uh, I just can't see any one of them getting enough volume to be fantasy relevant even, um, you know, any more than 11, 12 points a game. And, uh, yeah, especially, I mean, Riddick is a guy who catches – a lot of passes. That's where most of his value is. And if he's got hand injuries, you know, I don't, I don't know if that goes well for him. Um, I, I've gotten rid of Amir Abdullah in the two, the two dynasty leagues I've had him. Uh, still, really, really love his talent, but I'm a little worried that his upside is capped just being 185 pounds or, or whatever he weighs. And uh, I'm not sure he'll ever get um, get a full workhorse load. And especially he went with, with Riddick and Asiata and Zach Center and Dwayne Washington, um, all being there. So uh, I, I'm staying away from this backfield despite liking all the players. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, you, you have too many talented players there. It, it's tough to uh, uh, to zero in on one uh, for fantasy. So that makes a lot of sense. Tom and Flint, Michigan. What's up, guys? Are the Sharky vets in high stakes willing to be bag holders on Frank Gore again this year? Thanks for the email, Tom. Frank Gore, it seems like a different sect of people write him off 
every single year, Ryan, and every single year it, it seems like the bar to be a top 12 running back gets a little bit lower, and Frank Gore always seems to sneak in the back end of uh, that top 12 landscape. Is he a top 12 guy again this year? Is he the type of guy that if you draft him at his current spot, which I'm going to look up right now, you can actually get Frank Gore uh, at the 810 in uh, in FFPC leagues right now. So he's going fairly late for what we think is going to be a starting running back in Indianapolis, a high-powered offense. Is he the type of guy that you would invest in in that part of the draft, Ryan? Yeah, I, I hold the bag. I hold the bag in a lot of stocks, but I don't think I'll be holding the bag on Frank Gore this year. Um, he he always does finish right around that 12th overall spot, but because he stays healthy every game, um, and just there aren't a lot of running backs who do that. Uh, if, if you're if you're pitting his his points per game against the rest of the running backs uh, around that spot, I, I don't think he he is particularly close. Um, he'd probably be around running back in 20 25 or so. Uh, but he does stay healthy every year, which is really where most of his value is. Uh, him being 20 or 32 or 33, I just you, I, you can't count it on it, honestly. So I'm staying away from Frank Gore, despite liking him as a player. I like his situation. Um, I, I think that that in his spot, I think Marlon Mack would do well. I think that Christine Michael would do well. Um, say what you want about those guys. But uh, I, I like Frank Gore. I, I'm just not drafting him in any of my leagues. Uh, let's see, Neil in Orlando, Florida. I know he's climbing up draft boards, but what round would you be comfortable drafting Mike Gillisley, the starting running back for the odds-on Super Bowl favorites? Thanks, gents. That's Neil in Orlando, Florida. Mike Gillisley, haven't brought him up yet tonight. What are your thoughts on him, Ryan, this year as far as uh, what kind of numbers he's going to do in that Pats offense? I would say that Mike Gillisley is probably the most underrated running back uh, so far this year. Uh, if he does get the LeGarrette Blunt role, um, I do see him scoring upwards of 10 touchdowns this year. And uh, he, I, I think he's a much better player than LeGarrette Blunt. And I am an Oregon Ducks fan, so it's, it's pretty sacrilege for me to say that. Um, but he's, he certainly has a lot, a lot more juice uh, than LeGarrette Blunt. Um, and he looked really, really good uh, for the Bills last year. Um, I think that that if he can get uh, over 40, 45% of the rushes in New England, I think he's going to dominate and be maybe even in the back half of the RB1s this year. Um, I know his upside is a little cast because he doesn't catch very many passes, um, but I'm not sure he has to in that New England offense. And they, they tend to run the ball um, a lot more than you would expect just by having Tom Brady. Um, if he doesn't get that that role, if he has to split carries with Rex Burkhead, then obviously he he's not going to be as good as as I, I'm thinking he's going to be. Um, but I kind of see them using Rex Burkhead in a different role uh, on special teams and possibly as a wide receiver even. Um, and so I, I like uh, Gillespie a lot. I've got him on all my dynasty teams. I've been getting him in like the 12th and 13th round for a long time um, in these drafts. I know he's going a lot sooner now. Um, I, I think he's going around seven, seven, twelve now. Um, but I've yes, been sir. Him, seven, he's costing uh, you a seventh round pick right now. 
Yeah, I, I've been taking them around early in all of my drafts, and uh, I've gotten them in all in, in pretty much all of my drafts. And um, around around the seventh seventh late seventh round is probably the earliest I would take them. So if he gets any lower, I, I probably will stay away. But I've already got them on a ton of my teams. Rob is telling me we have uh, time for one more email tonight. I think it's a pretty quick one. Uh, Pat in Newark, New Jersey, which sixth-round receiver do you guys like best, Edelman, Marshall, or Diggs? That is Julian Edelman, Brandon Marshall, Stephon Diggs. Uh, Ryan, which of those three, uh, we talked about Edelman and and Marshall a little bit, but which of those three uh, would you be taking with your sixth-round pick if you were set on a receiver there? Well, I think Marshall is being uh, overvalued quite a bit. Um, I I do – somewhat see an Andre Johnson situation, although I do I don't think that, that Brandon Marshall is, is is done talent wise. I just don't don't like him as a second wide receiver in uh in that Giants passing game. And uh Diggs uh I, I think he's a wide receiver one and I, I I've been taking him him in all my drafts as well. So uh I think this is the year that we see Stephon Diggs become a wide receiver one. Digging on Digs is tonight's co-host, Ryan Thurlow, a winner of more than $20,000 in the Fantasy Football Players Championship. Great job tonight, man. Excellent stuff. Great insight. Uh, we certainly appreciated having you on. I wish you nothing but the best uh, this season in all your drafts. And uh, I guess I will see you at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas this year. It'll be great to meet you in person. Yeah, that sounds really good. And uh, I want to thank you for having me on. It was really fun. I had a great time. And I want to thank you for doing this podcast too, because it keeps it keeps people like me interested in high stakes fantasy football. It gets more people to the site and playing on the site, and uh, it's a it's a really fun podcast. So I, I just want to say thank you for doing it. Very kind words from you, gentlemen. Uh, I, I, you, you are a uh, scholar as well. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. Thanks for the kind words, man. We will talk again soon. Okay. Ryan Thurlow, ladies and gentlemen, FFPC $20,000 winner. Uh, Great job by him tonight. Fantastic stuff. Uh, If you want to be successful in drafts this year, I think you uh, got a lot of keys to the cars uh, tonight on doing that. So thank you to Ryan for coming on. That is going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks so much uh, for tuning in, everybody. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Ryan Thurlow, the FFPC, Rob, Bryce, and, of course, all of you for tuning in. Dave will be back next week as well as our guest, 2016 FFPC 2500 auction champ and 2017 pros versus Joe's participant and Toyota fantasy football hall of famer, John Rosek joins us live next week. Sign up for the football guys players championship and the main event today. Register for those stats and dynasty Scott Engel and the hall of fame hour is up next on fantasy. Your weekend starts now. This has been another episode of the high stakes fantasy football hour presented by myffpc.com That was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. Tim again, the sound of engine, and it's like a bird. You see fireworks and carpet tires, skirt the boulevard. I know how you work. I know just who you are. See, use a, use a, use a bitch. You almost probably switches like your DNA. I had the NBA Finals game on in the studio tonight, and I thought it was almost over with because I looked at the score, and it was 109.93 with 110 left. It's still the third quarter. Does anybody play defense anymore? Offense wins championships, people. Have a great weekend.